Welcome back, episode 29 of the Young Old Heads podcast. We took a week off last week, but we're back this week. Max just finished his muscle-growing milkshake, so you know he's ready to go. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, a.k.a. TV Sports Cards. I'm here with my good friend, Max, a.k.a. Cards Max, MVP Buyback Edition. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I just downed my muscle milk protein shake Max is going to the gym, and any listener has full reign to yell at me on Twitter if I ever skip the gym. But I'm doing well. There's a lot of stuff. I think both personal cool pickups and card-related news. Otherwise, since we took a our very long one-week hiatus at, at Young Old Heads, we don't take days off, but we just go on temporary breaks. And really, we've been going like, I don't know, 52 weeks, 29 weeks. Let's go with 29 weeks nonstop. So we have a lot to get into. Yeah. The one thing that people know about us is that we're never going to take more than one week off at a time. Maybe we might take a week every few months, but this is a dedicated card podcast. You'll get good content from us. But Max, it's been a couple weeks. You want to give the people a quick rundown of what you were doing, what you've been up to. You don't have to get into the pickups, but maybe just activities that you were doing. Activities that that I have been doing and am doing i know i went to two card shows in the past two weeks i went to the big secaucus show not that big i contend it's one of the bigger shows in this tri-state sort of area and i went to the white plains show in new york which is hosted by gp show promotions which i have had my gripes with on this podcast before because they are the infamous group in my mind that owns half the national but in terms of like a market pulse tommy i know you just or had Chicago very recently, or even a show pulse. Lots of vintage, especially in my area, but that's par for the course. And there was a lot of activity and buying and selling in these larger than average local shows, but not national local, national level local shows. A lot of people are having a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt over, oh, the market's down. I don't want to buy this at this price. Yeah, okay, this sold in August for this amount. I want it at 60% cheaper. And there is substance to that. And we have seen a depression in general pricing. I recognize I'm using very vague language. But the activity and energy in wanting to buy is still there and still completely on tap for the people that are still in cards and haven't been sworn away from this bad market trend. Yeah, I think so. I was at the Chicago Spectacular last weekend and I was there. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday was popping. It was just as crowded as you know any of the any of the Chicago biggest Chicago shows that I've been to in the last you know a couple of years. So that was encouraging. I also think that this Chicago show is one is the biggest one in Chicago every year. So the November one. So you know it's to be expected on a Saturday at the biggest show in one of the biggest cities for collecting. That that would be a busy show. But in terms of what you know the uh, briefcase ratio it was definitely high briefcases saw a lot of people walking around trying to make deals with dealers um anecdotally heard a lot of deals being made dealers were happy with the show and you know we're making deals but the chicago show has a lot of memorabilia and like that sort of stuff like shirts and that sort of um additional vendors that i think makes it a unique show but also different for me because like you know i'm looking for value bins and stuff and I did find some good ones for sure. So I had the famous, I found 
I have a good friend who's a dealer here in Chicago. His name is Mike. He's a big guy. He uh, has probably some of the coolest, you know, showcases you'll ever see. Some of the coolest, like, rarest stuff ever. Um, if you know him, he's a curmudgeon. He would not appreciate me shouting him out, but he's my man, and I have to shout him out. And uh, early in the show on Friday, I'm walking around. I'm saying what's up to some of the dealers that I know, and he goes, you know, I know what you like, Tommy, and you got to go look at my homie Scott's dollar bins. I think you'll do pretty well in there. So I obviously take take him up on that, start digging, find some crazy refractors, and I'm like, these are only a buck? Are you serious? Like, I'm just going to go through all these bins. Went through about six four-row bins full $1 cards of all sports and ended up pulling out some pretty sweet stuff, a lot of photo variations, refractors. And I found this Anthony Rizzo photo variation that – I was like, I don't know if I've seen this one before. I'm just going to pick it up. You know, I'll flip it either on Twitter to someone or maybe on eBay just because, you know, $1, less than a dollar after the deals I made with him. Uh, ended up posting it. Couldn't find really any recent comps on eBay just from like recently sold. Um, posted it 100 OBO on, on eBay just to see what would happen. And someone binned it in like 15 minutes. So that was my cards max flip of the flip of the show. I was very excited about that. I ended up reaching out. Or the guy reached out to me about when I was going to ship it. And I that is usually an indicator that a guy's been after a card for a long time and is making sure that he's going to get the card that he wants. Um, so I had a back and forth with him. And he was like, yeah, I missed a couple of them on eBay over the years and wasn't going to miss this one. He had a notification set up. So that's why he binned it so quickly. But I was very hyped about that. Covered a lot of my expenses for the week. I ended up flipping. So turned that Rizzo into a hundred bucks. I was like, you know what? I'm in, I'm rolling in money right now. I'm going to buy an update hobby box. I love update. It's a great year for update. And I ended up pulling the Julio Rodriguez Gatorade bath short print. So that was probably my biggest pull maybe of my life, honestly, but that happened last week. So I have to obviously give the quick TLDR on that story. So I'm hyped. I'm up on cards right now, Max. I'm hot. I'm hot on packs. I pulled that O'Neill Cruz purple from Meyer too. I'm just hot. I'm feeling good about cards. I'm mo I'm hyped going into 2023, even though we're still in November 2022. Yeah, that sounds like a very fun card weekend where you fully immerse yourself. The biggest thing, and I think the biggest discrepancy from our two show experiences is that I'm going to a lot of local shows where I already know most of the dealers. Or they're dealers that I don't know, and I don't know them because they're either priced very high or they mostly are vintage buyers and sellers. But when you're going to the Chicago Spectacular, which is a very, very large show, you're getting a real wide breadth of dealers to interact with and to mess around with and virgin dollar boxes that have been untouched for several weeks at a time. I am going to the Philly show next week. I am taking my train in i think maybe at 5 or 6 a.m and i'm taking my train out starting at 9 p.m and i'm just going for the saturday the philly show is the same promoter as the chicago spectacular that's the big the big philly show right because that's the big philly show that's like the once a year mega philly show i think it's like i think it's on par with chicago i think it's like once yeah. every two to three months yeah so the, the the thing about this chicago show and what you just said reminded me of it is this Chicago show, like I've been going to Midwest shows all year for Ludux and stuff. And I've been kind of meeting a lot of the same dealers. I see them a lot at the same shows. Um, but this Chicago one in November, especially brings out guys who are like, oh, I don't really go to that many shows. I set up maybe at this show and maybe one other show a year. So you get a, get a lot of that unique, like cool stuff. 
the guy who had the dollar bin, Scott, is from Florida. And he's like, yeah, man, I just have a giant warehouse of cards. Like, I just come set up at this in Dallas. And, like, I'll just sell out all my stuff. And I'm just like, that's so cool. And I have an open – I want to go down to Florida and just dive through Scott's uh, warehouse. He said that if I make the trip, it might, he might make it happen. So that could be a fun uh, possible journey in the future. But, um, yeah, I think – dealers the diversity of dealers is a big thing for me now deciding if i like really i'm going to spend a lot of money at a show like we have if i'm going to a local show where i know all the same dealers maybe i'll go check out the guys that i know might have some new stuff but i'm starting to feel what you were you talk about sometimes with your east coast dealers with is just kind of like redundancy seeing a lot of the same stuff over over comps stuff like that um so can you get into the nitty-gritty now max of what would you buy i saw you you posted a PSA nine blue scope Josh Allen Prism rookie card that I want to hear your thoughts on. You said that you had an interesting deal that was made. That was not something you were seeking out. Yeah, that wasn't something that I was seeking out. I wanted to, yeah, I think the biggest two pickups for me, I think, was the first. Well, I guess we'll focus on the Josh Allen blue scope first. It was quite merely a instance of I was bullshitting i forgot this is an explicit podcast bullshitting with um two college-aged dealers that i often say hi to they're from i think queens and brooklyn and i see this gorgeous josh allen blue scope nine and i want to say they're i was checking the recent sales and i think it was something like psa 10 a few days earlier did like 6800 and that was what the psa 10s are doing but there hadn't been a psa 9 since I think preseason or week one or week two or something like that. I don't know. I don't do football. And I made a relatively competitive cash offer that was 75% of their ask. And I think, I think with everyone's sticker price, everyone's sticker price is always a little bit above market so that you get a little bit below. And I just said the number and you know, he's just like, should I take that? And they're like, yeah, I think that's, that's a good number to take. And it's like, all right, cool deal put the funds on the table, nice, easy transaction. My thinking, so first of all, in terms of a buyer, it's good to know when you are having a very serious offer. And maybe I just try to speak with conviction and confidence and maybe I'm just very, I give off that energy. I, you're, I, just, I, you're good at this shit, man. You're good at it. No, you haven't seen you haven't seen me in work, Tommy. But you do. I know we I, walked I, around I, the I, national together. Can, I've seen you. I can crackle a few chuckles from bystanders in my negotiating because when I, I try to do, I try to if it's something that I want and I know my price, I try to just give the competitive price. And the my rationale with that, and which is also somewhat related to my thinking of not having best offers on eBay listings, is that like if I have a price, if I'm and I'm thinking unless it's something I'm really desperate for, and I won't fold on it, then like my price is my price. And I want to try to be like a little bit lower than what the dealer is willing to take. But at the same time, say with the conviction that I'm not going higher. Because most of the time I'm not. Because that's where the juiciness of the margins are. But I have a question for you on that. Do you, yeah. When you're negotiating a card show deal, are you explaining why you are offering the offer that you're offering? Or um, are you just saying the offer confidently? It really depends. And that's fine. Yeah, no. So I guess three big pickups. Right. As the um, diehard fans of the show know, I love Bryce Harper's 661 rookie card, which is short printed in Series 2. And I love even more 
way more because I think it's underval- undervalued, not financial advice, is the 661 autograph, which is exclusive to Hobby Boxes. And there are only about 30 copies each in Beckett and PSA's population report. I saw that at the New Jersey show in Secaucus. It was a dealer that I kind of knew. I didn't, I've never done a deal. I've never, never done a deal with this dealer. And I just knew based off what I paid for the previous one and what the non-autos go for. I was like, this is my offer. Like I'm giving this amount. And he's like, can you do $200 higher? I'm like, no, this is my amount. Didn't whip out my phone. Didn't check comps at all. I just knew what my offer was. And if he took it, great. If he doesn't, oh, no. And he took it and it worked. Sometimes there's some more emotional aspects to it as well. Like if you have cash, you can count the money in front of the dealer and put it in front of him. And then you have him, another deal. I started putting my money back in my wall and he's like, no, let's just do the deal. It's worth $25 apart. I'm like, thank you. That's yeah. what I thought. That's a dealer's... Never be afraid to do the false amount of walk away from the table. I've had a lot of success with that too. Like I, I have cash. I'm gonna. I'm not. I, this is what I could pay. I'm. I'm cool walking away from this. Yeah, I That's think. Good... A, I think there's a balance towards a negotiation because it's like if you're just. I'm saying examples like tabler selling vendor selling the item at seven fifty, and you're like I can do five hundred, and then he's like six fifty, and then you're like six hundred, and then the dealer's like six twenty five. You're you're a little bit of a prick if you walk away at. 625 considering that you are expressing interest and you both sides are trying to be amicable but if i'm just like 600 he's like can you do 650 i'm like no 600 and it really i think part of it is just the sales aspect of you know the price that you want to be in at you're not gonna try to do the lower offer to even set it up but i don't know negotiating is a lot of fun I get a high off it. It strokes my ego a little bit and I get cool cards in doing so. And hopefully you want to save yourself a few bucks. Yeah. I know a lot of the influencers like to flip a coin or roll a dice or whatever for like the final 10% of a deal. Oh, you know, I'm at 550. He's at 500. Should we flip it? So you does. No, I'm going to, that's my go, least favorite. I'm going right to get my choice every time. That's no, my least yeah. favorite bit, dude. The fucking flip a coin for 10% influencer. Real thing is just, yeah. I can't. I can't with that, man. I no, can't do I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to use my high intellect and cunning and spinach eating teeth like a man to say with conviction what my price is. I had a good uh, comp check story. So I usually okay. don't go to a deal. Like, I'm, I'm buying a car at a car show. It's very unlikely that I'm going to break out comps. Like, I'm usually looking to only buy things that, like, maybe are PC super rare, PC stuff for cheap. Like, cool stuff that isn't that expensive so it's not really worth me like breaking out my phone trying to nickel and dime but i had a good story with it so this i was looking in this guy's value bin and he had a couple cool barry Barry bonds cards and i was like no i'm looking to see if i can buy cool barry bonds i'm always kind of looking to for some numbered stuff of his of like refractors and there's a stadium club i think it was one of a kind is like an old stadium club parallel thing um and it was out of 150. Mitch on the pod to give us an education, to give me an education at least. Yeah, I, I had to educate myself on it. But I was check, I was like, you know, I don't know anything about this sort of late 90s serial numbered stuff. I'm just going to look up comps real quick, see if there is any. Uh, he had it at 100 sticker. And then I saw one on eBay that sold at auction for 40 bucks. And I was like, all right, well, this is a cool card out of 150. I, I would do 40 bucks. Like if I, I would have bought that. So I go up to the table. I'm like the next day and I'm like, Hey man, like I saw this card in your Valley bin yesterday. I looked it up last night. 
saw one sold for 40. I got 40 bucks cash right here. I thought it would be an easy deal. And he's like, I saw that comp. I don't, I, I know this card's rare. Like people probably just didn't see that auction. I'm sticking at a hundred. I'm like, all right, man, like whatever. I ended, up, buy- I ended up buying a card from him, the Pacific Gold Prism Barry Bonds from 2000, which Mitch was very jealous about. <laughs> but it's out of like 400 or something, not 10. Like No, opinion. and I think there there is legitimacy to that. And I understand that both as someone who's selling items and has a really, really brutal comp and all at the same time recognizes it as a buyer. Because really, if you can find, if someone is just solely operating on the comps on the sale item price and you know he sees a 40 dollars comp that's an auction that obviously you don't know the context of an auction but you don't know if it's really is a well-timed auction or a bad time auction if it's an auction and it's 40 bucks and you offer 30 and he takes it that could just mean a card that you sell at 80 or you start you sell even higher yeah i mean i am i have a very specific instance i guess with my Anthony Davis Silver Prism PSA nine that I bought at the Springfield Springfield Massachusetts show. I want to say in early October. I think that was the first week of October. I could be wrong. I bought it for a little story time. Bought it for eight hundred dollars. The last comp was eight hundred sixty or so preseason, and no, I think off season. And my rationale that I was giving to the guys like, hey, do you want this card sold or not? I'm giving you ninety percent of value on a rare card. No one else is going to pay 90% of that here. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. Like they were very hot and cold, but it's like, you, if you want the card sold, I'm the buyer and no one's paying higher than me. So I took it. I cracked the PSA nine. Luck didn't go in my favor. It became a PSA nine again. And in the meantime, there was an auction in season. I think when the Lakers were starting out 0 and 4, not a sports analysis content podcast, but we did Lakers did start 0 and 4. And the, Card ended at $561, very low. Lowing the population offhand, I know there's 64 or so PSA 9s and about three PSA 10s. So not even that many of them out there are on the market. I was priced at $1,000 at the time on eBay. I started getting a lot of offers on my slabs for $500 outright because I'm assuming my slabs, you don't have communication, but assuming the rationale is... Can we, uh, this card is the 2012 Prism Silver. 2012 Anthony Prism Anthony Davis Silver. Silver? Okay, cool. cool. Silver, not base. Yeah. PSA 9. And I was getting a lot of offers and even jargon four or 500. And I'm like, I'm going to stick at 1,000. I would definitely take 800 since that's a really bad sale, that $500 sale. But Anthony Davis started heating up. I was able to get my full $1,000. I ended up getting, I think last week, my full $1,000 ask. I was definitively and clear-cut lowest available even where PSA 9 which ultimately was $450 above last comp I'm, I'm I didn't make ultimately my point is I didn't make much money on the card I think after fees and after grading I think I made 20 bucks but if I were to stick with the rationality of last comp is last comp and you're not looking at the specific attributes of the card how many are on the market don't sell, don't sell the card. You know, if you're trying to sell that David Anthony Davis for $800 or Twitter on Instagram, respectfully, you're going to get clowned on and you should foresee that knowing the demographic of buyers there. But anyone who wants to buy an Anthony Davis sees the $800 sale, sees the earlier sales, and it can recognize the $500 sales. An outlier is not going to be fully hesitant to buy it 
at the lowest available price if it's within reason reasonable reasonability yeah that's a that was a good example of what the like phenomenon that we're talking about that i was talking about with that barry bonds card like the rarity like auctions for rare cards that are not ideally timed are always going to be you know kind of the floor i would say of the value of that card like it's probably not going to get much higher than the floor if it's not a well-timed auction for a yeah. rare card. One of my fa- one of my biggest pickups recently was the Juan Soto Gatorade bath in a BGS 9.5. And I thought I got a good deal out of it at the time because I got it below the last PSA 9 sale. And then breaking my heart, I saw that there was a Beckett 9.5 ending at auction on Thursday. Thanks so Wednesday, I guess, is Thanksgiving Eve, the 12.27 a.m. on the Thursday. So very, 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 very early on Thanksgiving Day, there's a Beckett 9.5 Juan Soto Gatorade bath ending at 12.27 a.m. <laughs> that ended also below the last PSA 9. And I think it's good that I know the context of my own auction, especially because when you're selling it, when you're speaking that to the prospective buyer, it conveys that you know your stuff. And that you're not getting hosed on either direction. But in terms of just even defending yourself, knowing the sales decisions and knowing, hey, I can confidently hold this. I shouldn't be worried about this sale because you know the context of it. It reminds me of one of my favorite early podcast cards, the throwback to the Jordan Noir National Treasures Auto. (laughs) I won an auction coming from Australia on New Year's Day at 3 a.m. And I was the the new comp on that. Yeah, that's set comps on auctions like that is always fun to do um but and card ladder doesn't tell you context facts card ladder i i feel like that's like an overarching theme max of this podcast is when we talk about like analyzing how to buy and how to sell it's like context is everything make sure you understand who the buyers are on each platform who the sellers are how things can be sold that's just good good young old heads buying and selling strategy but there is one thing that happened, Max, this last couple of weeks that I wanted to talk to you about because it seems to be something that you're super active about and you're super excited about, um, okay, which is the uh, the Tops MVP buyback program where it's basically seems like it's fr- Tops is giving out free money for uh, Aaron Judge and Paul Goldschmidt-based Tops Chrome cards. I want to hear what you're doing with this. I saw you buying some of these on Twitter timeline. What are you going to do? Are you going to turn it into profit? Are you going to turn it into gambling money? What are you going to do? I think, and this is really fascinating because I don't think Tops has really ever done a program like this. And this is, I don't know if this is necessarily a net positive to Tops. I should. Can you tell, can you tell people what? I'll give, I'll give the conflicts and I'll give the full breakdown as well. as What it is. Tops has offered a promotion from now, from as of yesterday, yesterday being November 26th, uh, 2022, through, I believe, March 31st, 2023. Remember that date because a lot of people, I think, are going to look at this as a one-month fad and then forget about how valuable these cards are. Don't because this is an active promotion for five months, okay, where all Aaron Judge 2022 Topps Chrome base and parallels through all iterations of Topps Chrome, not counting Topps Cosmic Chrome, but of the traditional Topps Chrome set that includes logo fractors, that includes black, white, mini diamonds of Aaron Judge and NL MVP winner Paul Goldschmidt are going to be bought back from Topps 
at $20 per base card, $40 per unnumbered refractor, $100 per numbered refractor number two, 101 or higher, and $200 for numbered refractor 100 or less, or fewer rather. I want to make sure fewer versus lesser is a very important debate that not many people have. But that is a lot of cash and a lot of influx of money into these cards that adds a floor for ripping wax, as well as most importantly, bringing a lot of commerce to local card shops, to LCSs. And this is very interesting because this is a day and age where a lot of people try to buy stuff online. A lot of people try to outsource because online is tough to beat. Fanatics is consolidating the amount of distributors and people that get allocation. So the fact that they're encouraging people to go in person and shop at your local card shop is incredible. This is taking a base card for Goldschmidt that was maybe not even worth 10 cents and turning it into a $20 card. And Aaron Judge may be worth a buck or two now being a $20 card in addition to all the number of refractors. What am I doing? I would, if I were, you know, if I'm a listener, knowing your context, look at your local card shop. First of all, make sure they're enabling this promotion because not all local card shops are opting in. And if they aren't opting in, you should really get, see if they're a long-term partner that you want to do with, deal with long-term. Also, I guess before I get into what I'm doing, what's in it for the card shops? Obviously, card shops get their wax and other products at distributor rates. And this is acceptable for store. This Each store has to accept for 100% store credit. I know a few stores that are taking cash values, but the entire goal is to give it a store credit for these stores and they're getting their wax at a lower margin. So this is just generating sales that otherwise may not have come directly to their shop. And... And Wait, can you, uh, so you haven't done this yet though. You no, haven't have. gone, all right, you have? I have. Okay. Stores will up, will send the cards out to ComC and they get, shout out to Saratoga Slabs for educating and being the first to give me this information, but not, this is, not that this is confidential information, but knowledge is power. Each LCS sends the cards to ComC where it is uploaded and integrated to their ComC port, tops then buys it back at, I believe 111% of the value in comp C credit to where you're able to take it out and you get exactly hundred percent of the cash value for the LCS. So the LCS would really only profit ish on it. If they're using that comp C credit to then buy more cards, which I've heard some local card charts are doing, but the goal of it is that if you're doing the one-to-one cash value, the stores aren't profiting. It's not like there's the stores are then selling it to tops for $25. No, the stores are then getting $20 back cash for your $20 of Aaron Judge base card, for your $20 Aaron Judge or Paul Goldschmidt base card, but it's promoting more sales to the store, and it's not like they're buying their wax on the resale market. I know that sounds rather surface level, but even it took me a few times, oh yeah, they're getting their Topps Chrome Hobby boxes for like $50 per, not $100 per. Yeah. All right. So we, we know how the buyback program works. What did you do? How many cards did you bring into your hobby shop? What did you use? What did you buy with it? What it went down? Really, yeah. So it really depends on the flexibility of your hobby shop. I am happy that I have a few hobby shops that I like. And a few. some hobby shops are more proactive in buying and selling than others. And I definitely check in with your local hobby shop. I know one shop that I go to, Pop Century Collectibles in Oakland, New Jersey, that recently just opened. They sell their wax, but they also sell their slabs traditionally as well. And I traded in my 
my Aaron judges that well, I'll get how I bought, how, what I am, my thinking is from behind the Aaron judges, but I traded my Aaron judges for more cards that. How I, many did, how many did you bring in? I bought at the, at the, the white plains show that, that same day, I bought an Aaron judge gold logo fractor, I think a pink logo fractor or pink numbered, something like that. And a base and a refractor. I bought about $360 of Aaron judge refractors for, I think $240 because the biggest thing is that you have to spend it at the store. You yeah. can't, the store is not giving you cash. Yeah, or some sort, but they're not giving you the full cash value of the. So tomorrow. you went, you went really all in. All right, how much store credit did you get with this oh, lot of Jared Judge cards? Oh, I got, I got three hundred sixty dollars of store credit for the two hundred forty dollars that I bought. Okay, so you, it was like so a I net bought... one twenty in value that you were getting. Yes, and even I was buying. Even when you're buying slabs, you're getting the slabs at ninety-ish percent of the value or 80% or whatever it is. You're not going to pay full eBay for what, hopefully you're not paying full eBay for what's in the store anyway. But even if you were to translate that to wax, if you're buying a tops hobby box of update, I think they're doing 120 per hobby yeah. box right now. If you're getting it 66 cents on the dollar, you can still flip it. You can still yeah. buy it at the market value and then flip it for 66 cents on the dollar. So how I would take advantage of this is, don't don't be an annoying person who posts like 20 times a day that you're buying because yeah everyone wants to buy these right if you're selling but recognize that you are acting as a broker for someone who either doesn't want to capitalize and go through the labor of flipping wax or doesn't have an eligible hobby shop to do this promotion with um and i'd say most people i see are cash cashing people out at 50 to 70 percent of the buyback value and that's roughly what I'm paying. Yeah. I am a certified reseller in the state of New York. And I have a resale certificate and I'm sales tax exempt on eBay. So that is even making eBay an option for me to buy these in mass and then trade them for store credit and get wax at a discount. Wait, what, is it, what does it mean to be a certified reseller? Um, you have, okay, well. What do you have to go through to get that? Like, did you have to like just state, fill out some paperwork? Yeah, you have to fill out some paperwork. Each state is different, but I know New York, there's like two forms that you have to fill, and then you send a form to whatever entity you want to be sales tax exempt from. I think I'm also sales tax exempt from TOPS. But the in essence, you have to then, because you're not, in order to not pay sales tax on whatever you're buying, you then have to charge sales tax on other people oh. and, if you're an op and if you're an operating business you're supposed to sit charge sales tax on people no matter what yeah. but so that you're not paying sales tax twice you're not paying sales tax on the inventory you're buying interesting i didn't know that that was a thing that's cool but yeah i think that was a good synopsis on the mvp buyback program it's a rare win for tops and we're i'm excited to hear more about how many you buy yeah. um recognize the leverage of buying in person and that shows and that these people are also aren't getting the ebay fees from because really it's leverage at the end of the day yeah it's sure you could buy at 98 percent of the buyback value and still in theory make money probably if you sell if you're buying a 98 and selling at 100 yeah that's still some added value but it's an ebb and flow between how much leeway do you want to give this person and how much are they going to get elsewhere and recognizing that if you're the top dollar but not to shoot yourself in the foot in the process, which I think is 
Very interesting. Last little note, I did not find any Aaron Judge or Paul Goldschmidt cards in dollar boxes. And most of the, at least the very least, most of the younger dealers knew about the buyback, knew what they had. You're probably not going to find this in a dollar box. Yeah, probably not. But it also just makes Topps Chrome Wax right now way more valuable. So if you do see a Topps Chrome Blaster at 30, 30 bucks MSRP on at Walmart or something, it makes that a way easier buy, I think, in my opinion. Um, I think just one, knowing that you could get one of those cards in it. Pretty yeah. One of, the, one of the craziest aspects was the on Black Friday, Tops had chrome light boxes for $65 with $100 free, with free shipping starting at $100. Yeah. And with the buyback promo being announced at that point, that made it probably one of the best Tops Black Friday deals that have been offered in several years. Yeah, that was a fire deal. Shout out Tops for doing some good shit. Very yeah, rare. Um, very smart for them to promote small businesses. I will. I didn't think there were that many great Black Friday deals, but I will be on the lookout more. And, and more. May, be on the lookout for Tops absolutely uh, lo- flooding the market with uh re with uh autograph buybacks of these next year. <laughs> yeah, I don't think these will necessarily be good cards to get in the long term. But it's good that they are giving a jolt to small businesses. For sure. Uh, but story time for me now, Max. I spent the week up in Michigan with my girlfriend, Abby's family. And I had never been to a Meyer before, which is a big superstore, uh, kind of like a Walmart, but a little nicer. I had never been in one, never even, I thought it was like a Walgreens level. No, these things are massive. And I saw some of the biggest, like they had the biggest wax wall I've ever seen. They probably had, 30 different products, every product you possibly want that's out right now. They had a bunch of, um, I bought, what, what did I buy? I bought an Allen and Ginter blaster to rip with my girlfriend because she likes the non-sports cards, which she pulled a, um, who's the the Guardians pitcher? Who's good? Uh, Shane Bieber? Yeah, Shane Bieber. She pulled a Shane Bieber framed auto out of that. So that was sick. Continued my the heater that I'm on. I ripped some of the... Uh, purple exclusive cello packs so those come in one of those like team set type packaging where there's like the plastic and then there's one pack of it was 2022 series two and then there's two purple cards in the back of the pack in the packaging loose so these cards are extremely condition sensitive because of the packaging that they're in so i had abby help me pick out some nice looking ones where the corners on the purple cards look pretty nice Ended up pulling an O'Neill Cruise purple, which I felt incredibly lucky about. So that'll go up on my Com C portal next time I ship out there. That was fun. Shout out Meyer. They had these cool mystery boxes too for basketball that I ended up buying one just because fuck it. And pulled a Luca rookie credentials out of the 30 loose cards that they include. Um, the packs that were in the mystery box were like a 94 upper deck basketball random. And then there was 2013 Panini which has got me intrigued because that's Giannis rookie did not pull the Giannis rookie. And then 2021 prism one pack did not pull anything. And then a 2021 optic pack, which I pulled a purple Steph prism insert. So that was cool. Overall win. Tommy is winning on wax right now, but I need to slow down obviously. Cause whenever you have a week of winning on wax, that just leads to multiple months of losing which I found. Um, but my big fun story of the week is that Abby's dad had a bunch of cards and he was like, you know, I need you to look at these. I was expecting straight junk wax stuff just because there was some junk wax, but 
this man had probably a complete set of 1969 tops and a significant amount of 68 and 70 and 71, as well as some football vintage. But the big find of the week was a Mickey Mantle 1969 tops white letters variation, which sells for about anywhere between $700 and $1,000 in a SGC authentic slab. So his was pretty well centered. Um, definitely had some edge problems, but I would say probably would be like a SGC three or four. Um, I actually, SAC, SAC reseller on Twitter pointed it out to me. I was not aware of the white letters variation, but he pointed it out when I posted the pictures just saying, you know, these are cool. There's a Reggie Jackson rookie, also um, some Nolan Ryan 1969 tops cards, a couple Nolan Ryan 1969. So it was fun to give some good news to someone, explain the intricacies of these weird variations that pop up in vintage. And uh, I think I got him into it because now he's like sleeving up all his cards, putting them all in top loaders and stuff. Um, that was fun to do and an easy way for me to interact with my girlfriend's dad that I had only, you know, I hadn't spent a ton of time with. So uh, that was fun. Very rare story of being able to give someone good news when they ask you to check out their collection. Um, I didn't know, you know, obviously I'm not a huge vintage niche person i know the general big cards you know what people look for in coloring and centering and all that sort of stuff but um learned a little bit about vintage got to spread some good news got someone kind of into cards a little bit more that was fun um i know we probably all have stories of people asking us to check out their card collection or whatever and usually it's bad news but uh i had a fun time so those are my two little anecdotes shout out meyer shout out checking out people's cards for them uh that's just nothing but good karma check out your cards not check out your dad's girl check out your girlfriend's dad's collections cards yeah not, seriously not, not to be confused with check out my cards no exactly not to be confused with compsy but max yeah. we've reached the everyone's favorite no segment. we haven't because i think the mickey mantle is very cool i'm a little surprised that you didn't know of the white letter variations uh i don't know the technicality of why it is i'm not that much of a vintage old head nor would i don't think i would have sought it out to make sure that it is a white letter variation and not the yellow very yellow text variation but i 1969 that is Manuel's last year card so i think looking at that stuff is very cool in general i know very diehard listener who i love old man 28 guy picked up a Buster Posey Super Fractor very recently. That was in 2022 Topps Chrome. Buster Posey has not played in 2022. He is retired, but it has the full career stats on the back. And when I was messaging him back and forth, one of the biggest takeaways that I had is that, yeah, rookie cards are really cool. I've gotten into it before of why I think I've, rookie cards being cool because they're before the player is big. But – other specific years for a player, I think, do have importance with last year cards having the significance of it being the finality and ending of a player's career, most importantly, a Hall of Fame player's career, carry, and let alone Mickey Mantle, carry significance. So, in essence, the Mickey Mantle white text is super cool. Yeah. Also, wait, real quick. He also said that he thought that cards from someone's MVP year should be worth more. He thought that that was like the thing that should be their best card. Yeah, I think that's like my third or fourth favorite year. Like, and that's something that we've talked about. But it also ties into the Tops MVP buyback program. Maybe this is gonna start a trend of people. You know, it would be cool if Tops did a buyback program of every you know the last 
five-year MVPs, Tops Chrome. That would be sweet. I think that could be like a cool product that they put out in the future is like buyback autos of guys from their MVP year cards. I remember idea. Like one of the biggest discussions that we had during the inception of this podcast is the rookie autographs for players that are Hall of Fame inducted or likely to be Hall of Fame inducted. And we didn't get Chrome rookie autographs until 2005. And that let alone after licensing issues in 2006, when we had the big conundrum with Alex Gordon and many other MVPs or Hall of Fame talents. But point being like, what if they just like bought back every Hall of Fame rookie card to make pack pullable Hall of Fame autographs? Obviously it's a buyback auto. My buyback autos aren't cool. And the worst product every year is Topps Archive Signature Series, which is all buybacks, one card, one box. And most of the time, the player sucks. But that uh, product could be good, though. This is what we're talking about. That product could be cool if they spent a little bit more time thinking about what cards were put in there. Like if it was Topps Archive Autograph Series MVP Edition, all the cards are guys that were MVPs with cards from the year. <clears throat> Excuse me that they were the MVP, that's a product that gets me way more excited than the current rendition that they have out there. And look at the three most interesting installed, or not necessarily the three most, but three products come to mind that were hot off the presses when released was All-Star Rookie Cup, which obviously necessitates that all players were receiving of a Topps All-Star Rookie Cup. So most of them ended up being good. And that was a hot product that sold above market as you know very quickly after release and guaranteed autographs and had this cool foil design that product was cool and liked but we're making this more to like the market trend of bowman chrome mega boxes and tops logo fracture boxes you are guaranteed for four of the six packs that you're getting nothing but base cards but in those two remaining packs for both of those products you are guaranteed color yeah. and that was enough to soar both. I mean, Bowman Chrome Megas for years were the best selling baseball product above SRP. Now the SRP has like 40 or $50 and they caught up, but they used to be $15 retail or $20 retail. And they resell for 40 to 50 every year. And then with logo fractors retail was, I want to say 40 or 50. Yeah. And now they like quickly 100 yeah. and now they're at like 120, 140 I've seen even. So point being, it's not even necessarily that people need big hits it's that they want a shot at a big yeah. hit it's like they rather, you they still want to get trapped you want to walk away with at least a couple cool cards that even if they don't hold a lot of value you have the chance of getting big ones and you still have some cool ones i think where ripping sours people the most is like when you rip a prism blaster and you end up with like maybe it's one silver one green one two silver and it's just trash the rest yeah. of it and that's where people really get pissed i think tops does a good job of like making sure even when you don't get your value back you're still pretty satisfied with the fun of the rip people will sacrifice ripping more meaningful packs if it means that the pack that they do have is slightly more juiced imagine i mean because what ripping a logo fracture box essentially is you're ripping 60 dollars per logo fracture pack because i mean before the buyback news, the other four packs or so were just absolute junk and useless. And, you know, don't even have Julio Rodriguez, don't even have SPs and rookies are the biggest players. Here it's all in those two colored packs that could also have the rookie variations. So in relation to this MV, this theoretical MVP buyback 
of going through history, or even this Judge Goldschmidt buyback. People hate archive signature series and most buyback products because the cards in them suck. It is understandable that Tops needs some, that operates on a very high profit margin per what they put in the box versus what comes out and what they sell it for. Mm-hmm. But even if it were a three to five hundred dollar box, but you're guaranteed one MVP auto, and that MVP could range anywhere from who, who's like a really sucky MVP. I'm trying to think. It could range from, I, with all due respect to Jose Abreu, Jose Abreu. Who Did Josh not, Donaldson win MVP one year? Josh Donaldson won MVP in 2015. Trout yeah. deserves one. Yeah. yeah, you could have a Josh Donaldson or Jose Abreu MVP be like one of the floors or maybe some some explicit podcast moment, old fuck from the 80s and no one cares about. Or <laughs> you have, some steroid motherfucker from the 90s. Yeah, you could have the ceiling be, papers would be nuts. I mean, the cost of papers would be crazy, but you know, Willie Mays has signed a ton. Yeah. You know, Mano has signed a ton. And obviously it's seeded so that it's very, it's the chances of hitting them are astronomical. Hopefully not 10 in the entire product out astronomical, but astronomical. But at the entry cost of a three or a five or a $700 box, you're taking that high risk gamble, but that's a more attractive rift because you know you're not gambling at the chance. You know that you at least have a shot of getting an astronomical pull, which is. Hot take why National Treasures is one of the best ROI rips out there. Actually, yeah. I don't rip National Treasures, but that's why when trap people do it. All right. This has been fun, Max. I'm shutting us down, though. Um, we have a couple more things that we'll follow up on next week. But, but um, Most of my guys were in person and not on eBay. Oh, that's fine. This is just this is just talk about what you bought this week. Um, I have a few things that I'll pull up. Do you want to go first? Um, I, I think first. I bought all three of my big cards. I think I hinted at one of them earlier. Hinted at all of them. My three biggest buys in the past two weeks was a BGS nine Bryce BGS nine ten auto Bryce Harper six six one autograph. I previous I bought a copy raw at the national and I created the PSA eight. The ten autograph is very tough to have. I don't think PSA would give it a ten autograph because there's streaks in the auto, but it's very hard to find autographs where all of the autograph itself is on the card so that likely what merited it a 10 autograph those are sticker those are sticker autos right those are sticker autos yeah yeah and finding and adding another copy to my collection is something i'm very excited about um the second wait card... can we do a quick shout out to the guy that pulled like 14 of those short prints oh Dude, yeah that story was insane you want to go see... I'll, I'll do a quick story. So at, at Cardman Max. At Cardman Max, not to be confused with Cards Max. Correct. He posted a Twitter story where he said that he pulled what, like 14 or 15 Bryce Harper 661s from like two packs that were like just complete anomaly stuffed packs. And this man owns like 10% of the total print run of this card basically because of this Topps print anomaly. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so I'll read because he has a thread that he posted in August 18th, 2021. I'll read it verbatim because it's very cool. This is a pro collect moment. Yes, it's story time. And I haven't told this one on here before, but it's the craziest weird card luck story I've heard. So I'm just glad it happened to me. Year is 2012. Maybe you can guess the RC. I'm a kid still buying all my cards at my local target. And on that day, I'm along for the ride with my mom. She goes shopping. I go to the card aisle. I decide I have the cash, so why not go big? 
I skip the packs on and the hanger box and go for a Series 2 blaster. When I get home, I start opening and get nothing for a couple packs. Then, suddenly, in the middle of my next pack, I hit like three or four identical cards. All of this hyped prospect named Bryce Harper. And then the next pack is the same. Four in a row. And again. And again. Then a couple nothing packs to finish the box. My mom is asking whether I want to return it. But I saw, of course not. I figured Harper was a hyped rookie and I could probably sell his cards for like 5 to $10 online. I had no idea it was short printed. I hit eBay and things are going for $130 to $160 and I freak out. I'm a fairly young kid and $150 is an insane amount of money for cards in 2012 and for me at the time. In total, I had pulled 14 Harper SP rookie cards from four packs within a blaster. 14! 14! I want to say right now the card does about $750 to $1,000 in a PSA 9. Oh, and he still holds some, by the way. He's yeah. Still, he's still he, he only sold, what, like a few of them, right? That's what he said. Um, I, I sold some right away, but fortunately I kept a bunch too. That was super lucky for me, not only because of those cards and the money, but because I can thank the moment for keeping me in the hobby. All of my friends stopped collecting around that age, but likely because of that moment, I never gave the hobby up. That is awesome. That's the coolest story ever. I honestly think we might need to just end on that. I have some other stuff, but like, I think we should just end on that yeah, story. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, that was, that's cool. Day. That's a cool story. I love the hobby. I love the hobby too. We'll see you guys next week. This was fun.